The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. What a Savior indeed. We worship you, Father. Great are you, God. May we find our satisfaction in you. And Father, would you take our look at your word now and by your spirit quicken us to do that, to know the truth, uh, to find uh, yeah, our purpose, our meaning, and our satisfaction in you, I pray. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Since school has started, for those of you in Indiana, what, what have we got? Michigan, we got a two-week break yet? Uh, but you're ready to go, right? Parents, you're ready for school, right? Uh, okay, I uh, wanted to sit, but in the school mindset here for a second, let us review. The last couple of weeks, we have looked at John chapter 17, which is called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. And you might remember, okay, if you're not listening, focus on this for a second. You might remember last week we looked at that verse in Hebrews, I believe it's 1125, where the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Somebody's praying for us. That is Jesus. And then we looked at some of the things that he prayed and saw in that our purposes. We saw that uh, he prayed that uh, God would be glorified. So this is one of the purposes we see that our lives should be about his glory. Uh, we saw that he prayed that they would know the truth. He prayed that several times, the truth of his word. So we want to be about preaching, proclaiming the truth of God's word. Uh, then he prayed and he said, I'm leaving them in the world. So we are to penetrate this world, this fallen world, and impact this world. And then uh, God's priority uh, that was prayed for several times was unity and the importance of believers uh, being unified uh, in the truth that, that, that he has given us. Okay, so we saw that, right? But I thought we'll add to the list a little bit more of some things that we want to be true of us. Do you or do you not think we ought to be zealous of the Scriptures? We should, right? Okay, get with me here. Uh, scrupulous in giving? Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, should we be dedicated to live untainted from this world in which we live? You bet your sweet. Okay, uh, should we be conscientious in obedience? Yes. Should we anticipate God's deliverance? Yes, good list, right? That is not my outline for today. In fact, what that is, is a list that I took off this book right here uh, that, I, that I have. It's a list, list on the back of characteristic, and these are characteristics of a group of people that during what is called the intertestament period, okay, between the book of Malachi, Malachi sorry, I, I used to do that goofing around, and I just did it, uh, Malachi and Matthew, between that, there's a few hundred years in there, and there was a group that worked to protect the integrity of the Jewish faith. Okay, because the influence of the Greek culture at that time was very strong, and they wanted to make sure that the, the church was not impacted by that too much. So this group of people dedicated themselves to preserving five very good things. Actually, the list goes on beyond that, but five very good things, and these are five, we'll say, very good characteristics of them. Do you know what group of people this book is about? The Pharisees. Okay, this book is written to describe the Pharisees. And what we're going to look at today 
is the book of Matthew, chapter 23, and in there we'll see Jesus's address, if you want, to the Pharisees. Now, we've been talking the last two weeks and listening to how Jesus talked to his father. We're going to turn it around quite a bit today, and we're going to look at how Jesus talked to this group uh, that was called the Pharisees. So we're going to jump into chapter 23. Um, hopefully, uh, we understand that this word... Pharisee, um, even though they were the scholars of the law, and even though they had that good list of things they practiced, we don't usually think of this as real positive, right? When we are called today a Pharisee, what's our synonym? We think of hypocrite, okay? Uh, so, you know, Jesus is going to uh, definitely address those issues. The, um, I, I'm not huge into polls and surveys and everything like that. Uh, partly, I think I'm a little bitter. I've never been part of one. Nobody's ever called me and asked me who I'm going to vote for. So how do they know? I've never been part of an exit poll. I, I assume that's when you're leaving the polls, they ask you who you voted for. I, I don't know, but nobody ever talks to me. Uh, they, you know, so nobody seems to care about my opinion, so I'm not really big into polls. But one of them that I came across this week that I think is probably sadly accurate they say that of the millennials, which, you know, many of you fall into that category as my kids' uh, generation there, of millennials, 60% of them that grew up in a Christian home have left their faith. 60% is what they say. Um, again, I'm not a big believer in polls, but at the same time, I taught, uh, let's see, two decades, I taught Generation X, and then one day. Uh, decade I taught millennials, and I would say looking back on that, I can think of many from that older generation who are still serving the Lord and following him, but there have been many that have fallen away. And of those uh, 60% that say they left the church, two-thirds of them say they did so because of hypocrisy. Okay, now I want to say this before we go on. That is not, if you want to say, an excuse. Every one of us is going to answer to God for our own selves. However, uh, you can still look at the idea that that has impacted a generation when they see they had hypocrisy. Now, again, not a, not a foolproof excuse. I was talking to somebody this week that is faithfully, he is a millennial, he is faithfully serving God, he's plugged in uh, in service projects of every kind and faithfully proclaiming the truth of God. Great guy, living like that. He is, his father is I mean, there's no other way to say this, and none of you know, hopefully, who I'm talking about. Uh, his father is like the head deacon of a church and the ultimate phony. You know, he's church, he's all about, you know, spirituality, and he treats his wife like dirt. Okay, and the son, you know, grew up in that home and saw this, and yet he has still decided that he is going to live for God and he's going to treat his family differently. So I want to make sure I say that. When I say that, uh, you know, folks say they leave the faith because of hypocrisy. I don't think that is acceptable, if you want to say it like that. Uh, but Jesus definitely goes after the Pharisees here. We will find in our text that they are called snakes. They are called a brood, of, brood of vipers. They are called blind guides. They are called fools. They are called whitewashed tombs, dead on the inside, but painted up on the white outside to look good. And they are called the sons of hell. So definitely, we'll say we want to in, uh, avoid this group. So we're going to read through the text, Matthew 23, uh, stop at a couple points in there, and just kind of look at this whole idea of hypocrisy um, largely so that we can avoid it. 
in our own lives. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. I want to stop there for a second. Okay, the scribes uh, and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat in the temple. You might remember when we started talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the posture of uh, a sermon or whatever was very different back then because the teacher would sit down and the congregation would stand. But they would sit in this seat that was called the seat of Moses largely because what they were teaching was from the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. So it was called the seat of Moses. Okay, they sit there in that position of, of authority. And listen to what Jesus said. I don't want you to miss this phrase. I think this is very important. He says, do and observe what they tell you. Now, the reason I want to stress that is there will be times when the message of truth is delivered <laughs> All, to, all the time. The message of truth is delivered in a broken vessel. Okay? That is always the case. There will be times in your life, if you stay around long enough, where there are going to be badly broken vessels. In other words, somebody that has taught you, somebody that you looked up to, somebody that you saw as a spiritual person is going to prove to be a phony. I hate to say that, but that is the reality of the life that we, that we live in. What I don't want to do is throw out everything that they said because of that. Does that make, make good sense? And, and hopefully we get that is very careful because the message of truth is in a broken vessel. Those of you that know me best know my flaws the greatest too. And I, and I got them. <laughs> you want to amen them? Where's John Miscavige? Uh, he could a, a, amen that one. Uh, but, and I know that, that I have them, but... But, uh, but we don't throw out everything be, that, that is taught there from the Word of God. I don't want to throw out the truth because it is delivered in a broken vessel. Okay, for they preach and they do not practice. Okay, now he's going to go into this phoniness. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move a finger to lift them. So what, you know, we begin to see this description of this hypocrisy. We begin to see, let me go on to the next couple verses here. Uh, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Some of you have been making your phylacteries broad, haven't you? I uh, just thought I'd say that. And your fringes are way too long, and they love the place to see it. If you're not familiar with that term, uh, the Pharisees had these little boxes called phylacteries where they would put Scripture, and uh, they would keep that, you know, before them. I'm holding it up here because many times that's where they wore them. Like on a headband, they would leave it as a little box with Scripture. But they would put on a show like, man, I am all about this. You know, I've got my tattoo of uh, you know, Jesus saves on my arm or, or whatever like that. They'd make their phylacteries broad. Their fringes uh, were also a sign of commitment and dedication there, the long fringes, so everybody could see. Basically, they were putting on a show. They were actors. Okay, uh, the hypocrite word, when you look at it in the Greek, uh, it go, you know, that is the word that we think of for somebody that is doing that. They're acting. They're putting on a show. They're wearing a mask. In the Greek uh, theater, you might remember that that's what the actors did. They had these little masks on sticks. Okay, you ever been to a little play, and on the play cover, they show these little masks on sticks? You wonder what they were? Okay, that's uh, the Greek theater is where that originated, and, and they'd play different parts, so they'd put on one mask for this and one mask for this uh, is that idea. But that's what he's saying about the, you hypocrites. What you're doing is you're putting on a show. You're trying to impress everybody with how spiritual you are. They love the places of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. 
but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And call no man father on this earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, and that is the Christ. So Jesus begins to paint a very different picture here. Uh, but one of the things that he is clearly saying to the disciples is, as you are uh, uh, preaching, uh, or I'm sorry, to the Pharisees is, you, you know, you're putting on this show here, you have lifted yourself up on a pedestal. And that is very important. I, I've mentioned this before. I struggle a little bit because I do think that the position that I have, the office that I have, like, you know, with kids and stuff, you don't want just, hey, Danny, how you doing today? Uh, you know, you probably don't want your kids strolling in, slapping me on the back and uh, how you doing because of the position. But at the same time, always remember that. I mean, I know, I know I repeat myself in this, but I think it is very crucial that we just remember we're not lifting men up. We're not holding them on a pedestal, okay? Again, I have a great privilege that God has allowed me to stand and teach. I have a great privilege of doing that. Have I earned it? <laughs> I don't think I'm any more deserving of it than anybody is. We all have what we have because of the grace of God, the opportunity that he gives. And always remember that. So, so Jesus says to him, you, you know, you've lifted yourself up. You've put yourself on a pedestal. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let's come down off that pedestal. Um, I'm going to pick it up here, uh, I think in verse number 11. This word woe appears seven times in our text. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel across the sea and the land to make a single proselyte, a convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Now, I wanted to stop on that for a couple, just to settle down for a second. The what the Pharisees did as religious leaders is they did not point, pe or what they didn't do, they did not point people to faith in Christ. Okay? So in other words, if I were to stand here and communicate to you, become a member of this church, and you will know forgiveness, you will know God better, you will go to heaven. If I were to com communicate to you, hey, if you give enough to church, you will know God better, you will be more spiritual, you go to heaven. If you do enough spiritual activity, you will know God better, you will be spirit more spiritual, you will go to heaven. If I were to communicate to that, I would be just as the Pharisees. The message that I need to constantly come back to preach is there is salvation found in no other name than that of Jesus Christ. When a person repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of that sin, that is how a person is made right with God, and that is the only way. And I feel like, um, you know, I want to come back to that, and I want to make sure to say that, especially when I preach a message like today, because today's message is, uh, you know, giving us some things of, hey, these are some things we want to work on. These are the things we want to avoid. They talk, you know, some about how we want to live our lives. And I don't ever want anybody to leave here and say, well, you know, hey, if I just do better, I'm going to make God happy with me. Listen, Jesus is happy with me. He is. Do you know why? Because my sins have been washed in his blood. I've trusted him for forgiveness, and I am made right with him because of that. It is not because, uh, you know, I put on my sport coat, which I'm getting kind of warm, but, uh, and came to church today. It is because of Jesus Christ and only because of Jesus Christ. And the message of the Pharisees was the exact opposite. It was a message of works. It was a message of doing. It was a message of earning God's favor. Okay, let me uh, go on here. Um, Woe to you, blind guides. 
You say if anyone swears, listen to this, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath. Let me read a little bit more along those lines. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple uh, that was made, uh, or, or he that made the, I'm sorry, or the temple that made the gold sacred. And you say if anyone swears by an altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by this oath. You say, blah, 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 blah. What is that all talking about? Well, basically, the Pharisees got to be experts on getting around the law, keeping the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. So it, it really was very much like if you swear an oath on this, then you have to keep it. But technicality, uh, I didn't swear on that. I swore on this, so I don't have to keep what I said. In other words, I had my fingers crossed when I said that. So they got to be experts, you know, as, as somebody who, well, I didn't exactly lie. Yeah, but you didn't exactly tell the truth either. And, you know, that's what, that's what God would say. Well, they got to be experts at skirting around that and keeping the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Okay, if we read on here, for so uh, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and all the dwellingness. So basically, tell the truth, okay? Don't get caught in the technicalities trying to get around it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the thrones of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've been very particular about making sure that you're giving your tithe, but on more important things, uh, you've neglected them. You are blind guides, straining a gnat, swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you clean up the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees, first clean up the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are outwardly appear righteous uh, to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you build the tombs, uh, I'm sorry, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in those days of our fathers, we would not have taken, uh, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of these prophets. Basically, Jesus says, yeah, you would have too. You would have done the same thing. Okay. Now, let's take our passage and kind of, you know, think through it here a little bit and talk about this whole idea. First of all, before we get to a solution, uh, let's talk about what hypocrisy looks like. Let's take a look for it. One of the ways hypocrisy hits us is hypocrisy towards others. And that shows up when we have a double standard. Okay, the word hypocrisy, again, when you take it apart, um, it comes up, oh, forgot. <laughs> look at notes. Uh, wait, oh, you underjudge. It means underjudge. You underjudge yourself and you overjudge others. I heard this story from two different preachers, so it might be true, it might not. Uh, but I was listening to sermons this week, and two different ones used this illustration. Some of you remember there was a preacher by the name of Billy Sunday. It was a long time ago in American history. Before Billy Graham, he was probably the foremost evangelist. He's a former baseball player uh, who preached the word. His contemporary in England was Charles Spurgeon, that we. Uh, quote a lot, Charles Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers. Well, the story's told that uh, Billy, I'm on the wrong guy, Moody, I have a Billy Sunday illustration coming. Moody, uh, D.L. Moody was contemporary. D.L. Moody went over and showed up at Charles Spurgeon's house because he wanted to meet him. And when he knocked on his door, Spurgeon came to the door smoking a cigar. And they said that Moody said, sir, why would a man of God be 
involved in such activity. And they said Spurgeon reached over, patted Moody on the belly. He was kind of a round man. Uh, and he said, and why would a, God of, uh, a man of God be engaged in such activity? <laughs> and they went back and forth. Now, I, I heard this story twice. It might be true. I say it like that because I was trying to think of back at that time, at the end of 1800s, why would smoking a cigar have been a big deal, you know, as far as health and everything like that? Or even did they understand how much, you know, obesity? I guess they would have known that was bad. So I don't know if this is something preachers keep telling us true or not, but it, it contains that idea that we look and we can see other people's problems, but not. Oh, you're smoking a cigar? Is that a, a big deal? My wife still enjoys No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, but we look and we, we can see what other people are doing. Let's say somebody says a bad word. <gasps> Did you hear what he said? Okay. Now, it's okay if I lie. It's okay if I gossip. But don't say this list of taboo words. You know, we don't want to say, say that. It's that type of thing. Let's say somebody else is uh, late for work all the time, and we think, ah, they're robbing the employer but we can cheat on our taxes. That's okay. Let's say somebody else is, uh, has trouble with anger and they blow up, but we can hold unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts and we're okay there. Let's say somebody else drinks too much and we think, oh man, uh, what a lush, what a terrible person uh, they are, but we can overeat all the time. No big deal. What it is, is it's judging others by a different standard than we judge ourselves. Okay. And actually we're much harsher on other people. I think uh, we can all relate that that would be something that we would struggle with sometimes. We also um, can have hypocrisy towards ourselves, and that is when we have a different uh, on the inside than out. We say that we believe something, but our life doesn't match with that. We say that we trust in God and His sovereignty and His perfect plan, but our lives are racked with worry. We say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that we believe that, but our mouths are silent. We never share it with another soul. Uh, when our life does not match up on the outside with what we say we believe on the inside, hypocrisy can also be towards God. When our actions are there, but the heart doesn't match up. Okay? This is something, to be honest with you, that, you know, it's not connect. okay, where do I connect in, the, in this sermon? I've mentioned to you before, my whole adult life has been in Christian world, Christian ministry. Therefore, I've had to be very careful about how things look. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't have to be all the time, but I was. Okay, so my tendency sometimes was to be fine on the outside, going through all the actions I was supposed to, but my heart, you know, Jesus, uh, God addressed that several places throughout Scripture. Isaiah is the no most notable. He said, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And uh, so, uh, so three different areas where we can see this hypocrisy creep up in our life. Now, obviously, uh, we want to go after this. We want to seek, uh, seek a remedy. Now, uh, let me go with my Billy Sunday illustration. Billy Sunday, the pastor I was talking about before from a long time ago, too, he was famous for saying, yes, there are a ton of hypocrites in the church. He says, here's what you can do about it. I want you to go home and look in the mirror and make sure there's one less. Okay? And I think that's really the approach that we want to take as we look at this passage is say, how can uh, I make sure that I don't fit into this mold? Um, when my son started his teaching career about five, six years ago, uh, I had been a teacher for a long time, so I remember we were in the car. He said, Dad, what piece of advice do you have for me? And I said, get used to being poor. No, I didn't say that. Um, uh, no, I didn't. He said, Dad, what, what piece of advice do you, do you have for me while, you know, being a teacher? 
And I thought of a man who was my mentor as a teacher. And I've mentioned him before. He, uh, as a teacher, I would have hated his class. He loved literature. I thought he was super boring uh, the way he'd talk and he'd teach. But the reason he was my mentor is because he impacted people's lives like nobody else. And why did he do that? Because he loved his students. Not because he convinced them he loved them, not because he acted like he loved them, but he genuinely loved his students. So when my son asked me that question, I said, hey, bottom line, Trav, I said, you need to love your kids. They're smart enough to know what's real and what isn't. He said, if, he said you can't put on a show. You can't fool them long term. I'm sorry, I said, but, but I said, you just need to love them. In other words, you need to be real. And as we think about that, how do we want to impact what we got coming now, Generation Z? You know, how do we want to do that more than anything? Bottom line is there has to be reality here. Mom and dad, you're not going to be perfect. We'll get to that in a minute. But there has to be a reality. There has to be a genuineness to your life because people are going to see through it. Okay, so let's look at a couple things that would be part of that genuineness, that would be part of that uh, reality. Uh, in one of the Psalms, the psalmist writes, Teach me your way, O God, that I may walk in truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The three words, unite my heart, is a common theme in Scripture. The Bible will talk about somebody who is double-minded, is the opposite of that, going the opposite way. But a united heart uh, is so crucial. While we're on the school theme here, let's go to math for a second. Before you got the fractions, you love fractions, right? Okay, before you got the fractions, you had to study something else called integers. Anybody remember that? Integers, whole numbers? You remember. Yeah, you just had it yesterday. Uh, anyway, anybody, anybody from my age remember integers? We studied integers, you know. But the idea is the wholeness there. Okay, the reason I'm bringing that up. Integers, you find a root word in there. Wholeness, integrity is the same root. Okay, we want to then be people of integrity. Uh, you know, again, that our, our heart is united, if you will say, following God. And I think integrity is very much the opposite of hypocrisy. And another phrase I'm going to throw at you, and stay with me on this one, we want to be naked and unashamed. My, uh, my brother-in-law and I were sitting, we were renting a house a few years back celebrating my father-in-law's birthday, and there got to be a quiet moment, and we sat down and, and watching TV, and we're going through the stations, and uh, we, we had one of these TVs where, you know, first of all, it'll tell you what show's on, and then, it, it, then that show comes in, you know, so Beverly Hillbillies, and then a couple minutes later, you know, there's Granny and Jed, uh, and whatever, so this, the thing comes up in the corner, and I had the remote, and the thing comes up in the corner and it says, naked and afraid. Piqued my curiosity, I got to say. <laughs> uh, so, so sure enough, I left it on there. And uh, sure enough, you know what that show's about? People who are naked and afraid. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Uh, so, uh, so anyway, there, there's the next scene. My brother-in-law looks at me like, what were you expecting? You know, the old-time gospel hour to show up on there? Uh, what were you thinking there? So we, we switched along and kept going real fast. Uh, I don't want naked and afraid to be what you walk away with, but I do want you to remember this phrase that's actually from the end of Genesis chapter 2 in Scripture, where the Bible talks about Adam and Eve, and it says that they were naked and unashamed. The significance of that is that nakedness gives us a picture of a place where we can be completely uh, real and therefore completely intimate with the Heavenly Father. 
And that's the pick. That's what we want to strive for: having integrity, having that realness. You know, moving in that right direction. Now, this is, this is great. I don't know if I have everybody with me or not, but but listen to this. this is very important. In that story in Genesis, where um, Adam and Eve fall into sin, then in chapter three they are naked and unashamed. At the end of chapter two, chapter three they fall into sin. Sin enters in the world, and all of a sudden they realize they're naked and they have to cover it up. Or something. Now, I want you to remember this. They attempt to cover it up, most of you know, with what? Fig leaves. Okay? That is man's attempt to cover up his problems, his, his sin, his shame. God says that's not going to do the job, and God actually makes a covering for them. Uh, animals are killed, and they have an animal skin that is made for them. This is so important, and I'm hitting it real fast, but if you take nothing away from this, remember this. This is so powerful because man's attempt to cover up his sin and shame never work. Uh, God says, I've got a better plan, but in order for that plan to be accomplished, something has to die. It gives us a beautiful picture of the fact that we can know forgiveness. We can have that sin and shame uh, covered up, if you will, but only in one way. Something, someone had to die, and that one who died was God's own son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price. Gives us a beautiful picture of that. But here we are all the time trying to cover up our own sin and cover up our own shame. I got reading uh, uh, something this week about that. It, it was a list of different fig leaves that we put on to cover the real us. Okay? Now, I'm going to let you play psychologist here for a second. Uh, if you don't know me at all, you're going to have a hard time. But anybody who knows me, I'm going to list. Let's see, I made a list of six of the different things they said that people use as fig leaves. You tell me which one I use, okay, to cover up the real me, to hide the real me. Okay, you ready? All right. Don't answer until you hear them all. Okay, possessions like sports cars and, uh, and nice watches. Theological knowledge, uh, a position of authority, physical strength, humor, an athletic prowess. You didn't say athletic prowess? <laughs> Once again, I'm illustrating my point. Yes, I know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've always been the type. Somebody says something nice to me, and I'll turn around and say something like, and you know what I like best about myself is I'm humble. Uh, you know, I, I, I deflect everything a lot of times with humor. I know what it is I hide behind. My challenge to you today as we think about that is to say, what is it that you are hiding behind? What is it? And maybe a spiritual activity. Remember that list we started with about the Pharisees? Good list. Good list. Good things that they did. Maybe it is something good, but it is something that you hide uh, behind. When we hide our problems, when we hide our brokenness, we have a tendency, not that we have a tendency, we will delay our rescue. Let me say that again. When we hide our brokenness, we will delay our rescue. Jesus has come to rescue us from that. Jesus has come to provide a solution. But when we're too busy with our fig leaves trying to hide ourselves and who we really are. So this idea, weird terminology here, what Pastor talked about today. He wants us to be naked. Uh, and I guess, you, I guess you could take that away because in a very real sense, I want us to learn to stop trying to hide ourselves and live lives of integrity, the very opposite of this group that Jesus addressed here, here as Pharisees. Now, let me, let me say a couple things about this. 
parents, I really want to challenge you to, to strive for this, but I want to mention, as I said before, you're not going to do it perfectly. I think the best place, and we come back to it a lot, but Romans chapter 7, where Paul talked about the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I, I don't want to do, I end up doing. We're going to still struggle in the flesh, and we are not going to be perfect. People are not looking for you to be perfect. Kids are not looking for you to be perfect. The people that God has put in your life to influence at work, they're not looking for you to be perfect, but I guarantee you, they want to see something that's real. And if we are hiding our real self, okay, I want to, okay, again, just to illustrate here for a second again, when you think about this, if somebody is your closest friend, they know not only the good about you, right? Your closest friends, the people you are closest to know the good and the bad about you. I'm going to go a little long here, but I want to illustrate with this one, one time. We were trying to make an attempt to uh, influence our neighbors one time towards Christ and, and, uh, and share Christ with them. And for the first couple years there, I, every time, you know, he's out working, I'd run over with my shovel, you know, uh, like a helpful neighbor. Uh, Danny came, you know, like that. Danny did the rescue. Um, after a little while, there was some, actually, I was working on my car. I didn't know the spark plug wires had a certain order. They had to go back on. Uh, but he, he heard my car misfiring one time, and he came over and helped me. And he told me one time later, he said, you know, that changed our whole relationship. You were always running over, you know, going to come to the rescue and, and every, everything like that. He said, when you actually, I saw your weakness, and I was able to step in and help you, that's when we got to be close friends. And guess what? Not only did he get to be close friends with me, he got to be close friends with Jesus. It's awesome. He still is to this, this day, and I, and I love it. But, but listen, that integrity idea just involves saying, hey, I got to be real here. I got to be real. They got to be able to see who I really am. If, if we're living behind a mask, if we're living with uh, fig leaves all the time, people aren't going to see the real us, and then the real us does not receive love. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're just going to close with a, with a word of worship. I think we can just do that shorter version that, uh, that we talked about, guys, just because I... Yeah, yeah. This is this is something that uh, I, I love. I, I want to. I'm sorry. I want to say this again. I want to make sure that I'm not communicating to anybody. Hey, as long as you're real and everything like, like that, it, it it's all good. I I want to come back to the fact that the Pharisees spread a message that was not pointing people to faith in Christ, and I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to ever indicate that. Hey, if you live this way, it's it's all good. Th living this way comes after trusting in Christ and having a relationship with him. It is a byproduct of that. But God does give us, even as we look at some of the sins of the Pharisees, some of the things that we can look for in our own life. And, and this is, I am very passionate about this because I know what it is like to put on a show. Okay? I know what it's like. Uh, like I said, I was, I was in a position where if I didn't, I might lose my job. So I did. Not good. Doesn't produce an intimacy with Jesus Christ. I love the freedom that comes being naked and unashamed. I really do. And that, that freedom comes in the blood of Jesus Christ when I trust in that. Let us praise him together. Father, um, a message that has had such impact upon me um, 
I, I don't think I can share it adequately. I can't do, but what you did is you took it and applied it to my life, and I'm asking that you do that with all of us. Apply this message to our hearts and our lives that we can indeed know the freedom in Jesus Christ, the freedom that we can know true intimacy with other people and mostly with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.